Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you today, and thank you for making us your church home for an hour. We're going to begin a series on stewardship today, and it's going to be broken up quite a bit. Next week is Palm Sunday, so we'll be talking about the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem and what that means as he enters into our lives. The following week is Easter, and so we won't pick this back up until somewhere, somewhere around the end of April, first part of May. But um, we're going to talk about what God wants us to do with the stuff he gives us and how we can best honor him with it. So turn with me over to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The title of the message is Singular Service. Singular Service. Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lord, help us as we study your word, please. Two things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, we need to have singular focus. And two, there's a second master prohibition. A second master prohibition. Jesus is trying to help the disciples in this, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And anybody else who might be within earshot of hearing what he's saying because he's teaching the disciples about the importance of life, priorities, what they need to concentrate on, how his ministry is going to be postured for the next three and a half years. and He's trying to bring them into something quickly. And he is saying some things about the emphasis of the society in which he lives that's imbalanced. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 is a marvelous passage of scripture. The first 15 verses talk about how God wants to bless people who will do what he wants. When they do his will, things are going to come upon them that are really good. And as they do his will, the things that, that are going to come upon them are so intentional that even if those people seem to run in such a way that they are not interested in the blessings, the blessings will come upon them and overtake them. They will run you down. You cannot run God's blessings. The next 40 or 50 verses talk about what happens when you disobey. And equally, you cannot run the consequences. But the people of Israel determined that if you really did right by God, the blessings would come to you. And as a result of those blessings coming to you, you could, you could find yourself in a better station of life and people would respect you more and as a result, maybe you need to put an emphasis on receiving those blessings so that people will respect you more and you will have a better station in life. And so the, the focus began to grow from obeying God and then receiving the blessings to let's obey God in such a way that we get blessings. So now he's become like a divine slot machine. You put something in, you're going to get something out. If I do this thing, surely he's going to give it to me. And now we're not necessarily serving God. We're serving money. 
How in the world do I get what I need? I have some stuff I want, and if I can use God to get it, great. This was the mentality in which Jesus found himself. Now, it's not unusual, meaning it's not like this was the first time anybody thought about this in Jesus' generation. They had thought about it in many other generations. But he was somebody who was bringing some balance to some imbalance. And it can get really messed up in church because you're serving God. You're doing good. You're trying to, to make sure that his kingdom is advanced in your life. You're trying to please him. At least that's what it looks like. But this is all motivation of the heart. Nobody might be able to tell from the outside why you're doing what you're doing. And so Jesus is trying to whittle down all the stuff that might get in the way and say, let me make it real clear to you. There is no way you can serve two masters. And in your own soul, you need to be really clear about that which you are serving. Which one are you giving your attention to? Because you can't serve two. Now, let me see if I can highlight the reason why a human being cannot serve two masters. God is triune in nature. Meaning, he is three persons, one God. He is not three gods. Three persons, one God. We call it the Trinity. And as I begin to explain it, it is unexplainable. This is one of those conundrums. You do as many mental gymnastics as you possibly can, and you still cannot figure it out. It is beyond human comprehension, yet it is not beyond discussion. And so we need to, we need to receive it and embrace it. But there's no way we can get our mind around it because it just is beyond us. He is a plurality, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect unity, three persons, one God. It is not oneness. It is unity. Difference. They may sound like synonyms, but they are not theologically. Oneness is the doctrine that there is one person that morphs into three different kinds of people. So at one point, Jesus is the Son. At another point, he appears to be the Father. At another point, he appears to be the Spirit. And he can morph into whatever he desires. It's called oneness. And there are, I don't have time to go into it today, but there are many flawed presuppositions to that and many flawed uh, uh, um, uh, results as, 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 as somebody begins to go through to the extreme of that idea that detract from both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three. And so it's very... It sounds kind of good, but it's really not. But in man's effort to try to understand the Trinity, we try to boil it down to where it fits in our brain. And that's what we come to. But it's dangerous because we deny the beautiful individuality of each person in the Godhead. The Father is the Father. The Son is the Son. The Spirit is the Spirit. And all of them function as one God. We find this to be true. And it wasn't a problem for the Hebrew mind. It is a problem for our Greek minds. Now you say, I'm not Greek. Well, we have been trained in the Greek method of education. 
which is very logical, point by point by point, leading to something. The Hebrew way was very, very different. It was a, it was a, 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 a cos, cos, cosmological kind of smorgasbord of bringing thoughts together that didn't, didn't have any conflict in the soul when there was no complete resolution. Ours does. And so Greek mindsets really don't fit in Hebraic ideas. Not fully. And as we look in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, And God said, in verse 26 and 27, Let us make man in our image. Who is us? Who's us? This speaks to the plurality in the Godhead. He wasn't talking to the angels because the angels are not made in God's image. So he wouldn't be asking, by the way, he wouldn't ask anybody for help. In terms of creation, he can do it all by himself. The only reason he wants your assistance is to teach you to partner with him. When he's asking for your assistance, it's not because he lacks the ability to do it himself. It's like you asking your four-year-old to help you fix the door, paint the house. It's going to take you twice as long. We're four. So <clears throat> what we see here is God describing himself in the very beginning as being plural. Now the word there for God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is Elohim. And the word Elohim is plural in and of itself. But it is always used with singular verbs or nouns. Which lets us understand the complexity of the, of the, the mindset that the Hebrews had to have when they understood and, and when they understood what they were talking about, when they were talking about God, he is plural, but he is one. Knowing this to be the case, and knowing that God made us in his image, we're a little complicated too. Now, we are not, we, we aren't like him. I, you ever, when I was growing up, there was this uh, uh, book called Sybil. Um, multiple personalities. That's not what I'm talking about. You are one person. You are not a plurality. But you are complicated. And that there is a body, there is a soul, and there is a spirit. The soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. If one part of that, one part of these three is missing, you aren't you. In order to be here on the planet, you've got to have a body that works. If it breaks down, you're in trouble. In order for you to function as you should, you have to have a soul, mind, emotions, will. And your spirit is the thing that allows you to have real life. You're complicated. And they all kind of mix together. It's not a clear, mm, where's, where's the souls? What are those things that are coming out of your tear ducts? What's that water? Well, it's a reflection of your emotional state. Well, if you don't cry, are you unemotional? No, it's not like that. It's hard to put real boundaries around all those things. They all flow together to make you, you. And this is the best way God thought about what he thought about making you, me, in his image. 
It's kind of a triune thing. But nothing like him in that he is distinct and that he is three separate persons. But he makes us something like him. Different than him, but similar to him. And seeing that we are somewhat complicated, Jesus does his best to try to make it as simple as possible so that we aren't diffracted in our attention. In, the, in the, 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 the creation of human beings, the thing he did not do was make any human being by design with two heads. It might happen today. You have conjoined twins. You'll see snakes that come out with two heads. And when they do that, they fight over food. They fight over direction. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No? Two-headed snake. One body, and one wants to go this way, the other wants to go this way. And neither one of them believe the other is in it for themselves or for the other. They believe each is in it for each other, not for one another. And so they don't realize that if the, if the one snake, if the, if the head over here eats, the body still benefits. God didn't make it like that. Why? Because you have two separate minds, two foci. And it, com it complicates things immeasurably. God made you with one. And in your singularness, he wants you to focus with such deliberateness that all of your being allows you to complete that for which you have been created and not be distracted by other things that do not benefit the purpose of your creation, but indeed distract from it. And so Jesus said it like this in terms of our creation. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That when all of you is involved in all of him, you find your greatest benefit and the purpose of your being is, is put into place. You find that you are moving down the road of doing that for which you have been created. It's not just about a command. It's about which was the greatest. Meaning we need to do it. But it is the greatest command because it allows all of you to be involved in all of what you're supposed to do. And not be diffracted. Are you following me this morning? So there is, there is a likeness to which you need to not only comply and, and understand and submit, but you need to engage it in the purpose for which God has placed you on the planet. And that is, that is singularly to be involved in who he is first, to prioritize him first. The problem is, then when we find ourselves in this world, we find other things competing with our attention. And he takes a back seat because we don't see him with our natural eyes. We see our bills with our natural eyes. We see our bank account with our natural eyes. And usually it has red ink. We see lack with our, our, our eyes. And we find ourselves in a place of noticing things to which we need to give our attention that compete for that which is primary. But when we give all of us to all of him, something happens. 
Let me tell you, something happens. Not only does it happen for your benefit, but God sees and hears and senses something on the earth, and he responds differently. There is a fragrance that goes up from your life that is a pleasing aroma to him. It's an offering. We've intentionally, over the past few years, changed the vernacular for our worship, quote, team. I don't, I haven't for years called it the worship team. And it's not because they don't worship, they do. They're, they're astounding. I, I love what we have been able to produce by the grace of God in the 150 people that are constantly involved in our worship and song. I'm grateful for them. They are, out of those 150, probably 140 of them are all volunteers. And they're here 10, 15 hours a week. Do us a, a study. They know how to worship. But it's worship and song. Worship still needs to happen on Tuesday when they're not in your house. Worship is all of your life. It's all of who you are to all of him. And when you worship well, there is something, a fragrance, that goes up to God that really makes him happy. But when you don't, it's a different kind of fragrance. When you give him half, when you don't, when you don't give him all of you, something else smells. It's a different kind of stuff. It's not the thing that brings him pleasure. And so this is not about just making sure your life is better. It's about making sure God is happy. And that the sacrifice that he gave in his son is actually benefiting you to the degree that it's reciprocating back to him in worship. The kind of worship that smells well. An offering that is pleasing to him. So Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. And he's, he, he's really trying to make it real clear. He's saying it is impossible to do so. So don't try. You can't serve two. So don't try. Now this is the beginning of a passage that goes into the, the idea of how important it is to get your priorities right. So Matthew 6, 24, says, Jesus says, you can't do it. Impossible to serve two. 6, 25 explains the process through which we get to go in order to receive provision since we can't serve two masters. He could have just left it at 6, 24 and said, figure it out. But 25 through 33, talk about everything that happens when you do it well, when you serve him with all your heart. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't work, they don't labor, they don't store into barns, but your heavenly Father provides for them. Are you not worth much more than them? Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. And tomorrow they're going to be taken up and thrown into the fire. God put a whole lot of effort into a little bit of enjoyment for you that's going to be gone tomorrow. All that, don't you think he cares for you more than the, the grass of the field? He'll provide for you the kind of clothing you need. And don't be concerned about where you're going to live if you're going to have a roof over your head. 
The Father provides. You, he says to the disciples, still in the context of Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You be different. You seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live. Don't concern yourself with that. Don't fret. You give yourself to the kingdom and its righteousness, meaning to the principles of the kingdom and doing right while you're in it. You give yourself to that and watch how my heavenly Father will provide for you. Now, maybe some of you are really, really proficient in your business. And you find yourself in a place where you are, you are marketable. There are folks that want your services. And say there's somebody in Seattle that wants your services. And somebody else in Dallas that is competing for your services. They're giving you similar money. Similar markets. Good schools, housing, great communities. And then one says, listen, if you give yourself to my offer, I'm going to pay for your, your moving expenses. I'm going to pay for a realtor to make sure to find your house. We, we'll even put the down payment on the home for you. I'm going to make sure I give you half the tuition for your children in private school. Now, that might sound, that might sound a, a little above what most of you would think is normal for somebody to be recruited for employment, but that does happen for somebody that's really desirable. Why? Because they realize how much that person can benefit their business. Do you know how few really think about the kingdom? Do you realize how few really give themselves to kingdom purposes? Because most are trying to figure out how to do the buy thing. I got to give my money. Got to give my career. I'll go to church on Sunday, but I got to give my money. Got to give my career. They're trying to do both. How few? Or they're trying to do only. They're not really, con they'll, they'll tip God every once in a while by watching on live stream. <laughs> Won't even step in the building because they ain't got time. They got to go to work. They can't take Sunday off. No, 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 no. Money can be made. They need to really go talk to Chick-fil-A. They need to talk to Chick-fil-A. Somebody at Chick-fil-A needs to do a seminar on the, on, on the value of rest. There are very few that seek the kingdom. Very few. And so God says this. If I find somebody who is really interested in just my will. Now, I'm not saying that's the only thing you seek. It's, he said seek it first. First. It doesn't mean you just show up in church and live here. You have to go to work. You have to feed the kids. You got to be responsible. Hear me. Pastor said, I just need to stop everything and read my Bible. Just stay home and read my Bible. Oh, Listen, I got to give those disclaimers because you have no idea what people tell me I said when I walk out here. No, I, I said, you got that from what I said? Oh, my goodness. Go back. I repent. I'm sorry. Very few people center themselves around, Lord, all I want is you. 
And I want you as much as I have you now in church in my, in my priorities for my career, in my priorities for my money, in my priorities for my relations. I want you every place first. I want you first in everything. And I'm not going any place. I don't care if the money is twice as good as what I got now. If you say no, I'm staying here. Very few people seek kingdom first in all things. So few that God says this, when I find one, I'm going to make sure I put the down payment on their house. I'm going to make sure I get the moving expenses. I'm going to make sure they don't have any issues over here because they are giving all their life to this. That's what he says. Don't worry about that stuff. You seek first the kingdom and watch how my heavenly father will provide for you now he's explaining you can't serve two now this is really not complicated but it's hard because we are so guided by our five natural senses that we forget the promises that God made to us and we allow those senses to inform us of all truth when all they do is give us facts they don't give us truth. Truth is what we know to be true about Scripture, what we know God said. Facts inform us about how we need to apply the truth. And when the facts don't line up with the truth, sometimes we believe the facts more than the truth. The truth is supposed to inform our faith about how we're supposed to address the facts. The fact is, I don't have enough money. The truth is, God said he provided. So I'm going to believe every day that God is going to provide for me. Why? Because I sought first the kingdom. And I can tell you, before y'all got here, I can tell you there were days we had to figure out how in the world payroll was going to be met. Where we were going to meet on a given Sunday. There were days that were not enviable as a pastor. And I was questioning my calling. Not my calling overall, but my calling to you. Because I surely wasn't leading as well as I thought I needed to in order to provide everything you needed to be a great congregation. Every day I looked in the mirror thinking, you're not enough. Yet I knew what God said. And in spite of my insecurities and in spite of my lack, I kept my hand to the plow, though not very competently. I just didn't quit because I knew that the circumstances could change if I applied my truth to the facts. I didn't do it as well as I should have, as often as I should have. But I was consistent enough to get to the place where you showed up. Amen. So at some level, even though I can be relegated to the person that ought to be the one that seeks first the kingdom because I'm a pastor. I'm begging you to not just relegate this portion of truth to my profession. Anybody who does this, God will provide. Because you can't do both. Jesus is doing his best to try to help it. You can't. It's impossible. So <clears throat> if you seek first the stuff, and this is what Jesus is saying, please get this. If you seek first the stuff, you might get it. Everybody say might. might. There's no guarantee. Might. No guarantee. You might get it. Some people get it. But they definitely don't get God. They get the stuff, but they don't get God or the kingdom. So they might get stuff.
They definitely don't get God. If you seek first the kingdom, you are guaranteed to get him and the stuff. It's not complicated. It's just hard. This is what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples. You can't do both. So choose wisely. If you seek after the stuff, you might get it, but you won't get God. If you seek after God, you'll get him and the stuff. Why wouldn't you choose the latter? And in doing so, he says this, either you will hate one and love the other or cling cling to one and despise the other. Jesus uses two phrases in each of the, the two words in each of the phrases to describe opposites. Uh, in the Greek, which you don't care about the words, but the two words, hate and love, are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. The word for love is agape, which is the unconditional commitment towards somebody else's well-being. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for that. The word for hate is not like we think hate. It's not a vehement dislike. It's just a chosen neglect. So Jesus says, uh, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate mother, father, sister, brother. Well, this is the same God who said, honor your mom and dad. So he's not saying you need to have a vehement dislike. He's saying this. There may come a time when mom and dad don't think you ought to do what I say. And as a result, you're going to have to do what I say if you want to be my disciple. They're going to perceive that as hate because you've neglected what they say. That's what it was in the Hebrew mindset. Either you will give yourself to something in an unqualified way for for the benefit of the other, or you will neglect it. And if you give yourself to money, material possessions, if you are stingy, if you do not tithe, if you choose not to give to orphans, if you don't prioritize distribution of resources for the benefit of the kingdom and good, a good stewardship for your own personal life, if you don't do that, you're going to find yourself in a way that makes you neglect God and pursue the other stuff. Because you can't serve both. You cannot. And so you have to decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make giving a priority. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe before I pay my bills. I got about five amens on that. <laughs> Tithing is, is, is not something that needs to be done because it's a regulation. We're not talking about doing something according to the law. We're talking about your heart. Abraham represented the principle of tithing. When God gave him a victory in Genesis 14, go back and read it. That was beyond his ability to grasp. He could not have, have garnered this victory had not God given it to him. He only had 318 soldiers and then some, some homeboys, Mookie and Pookie and Mamre and Eshkol, and these two guys with a couple of men in their house beat up four nations. 
in order to rescue his nephew Lot. He was so amazed. And, and it's not that Abraham had an army. He had tailors, he had cooks, he had shepherds, he had herdsmen. These weren't warriors, but they had to strap it on in order to get Lot because Lot had been taken captive. And he beat up four nations. He came back, and the king of Salem came out to meet him, named Melchizedek. And Abram looked at him and said, listen, I'm giving you a tenth of everything I got because there's no way I could have got this victory without God. You represent the priest. He was a king and a priest in Salem. You represent the priest of God on the earth. I'm giving it to you. And God said, wow, that's so great. Nobody else will get it because there are very few people like my man Abraham. So I'm going to help people be blessed by making it a law. And if they have to do it, they might not be happy, but they'll be happy that they did it because I'll bless them as a result. But few will get it just as a result of their heart. Abraham's unusual. Has God given you, has he given you victories beyond your ability? Has he done stuff for you you couldn't do for yourself? Then what... What problem again do you have with giving him 10% of everything he's given you? What is your problem? If you want to hold on to it, you're serving money. If you want to hold on to stuff and not be a, a, a benevolent giver and a distributor rather than a reservoir, if you want to hold on to it, you find yourself trying to serve something you can't. Because you really want to serve God, but you're out here serving money. You cannot serve both. Give yourself to the principles of God and all of his righteousness. And the Lord said this, I'll make sure you are never lacking. Now, that doesn't mean he won't make, that doesn't mean he won't put you in a position whereby it feels like you're going to be in the ultimate position of lack, but it's just an opportunity for you to express your faith so that you can see him do a miracle. However it comes, it's coming back to you. Because he said so. So he says, if you give yourself wholly in an undivided way to one, you're going to have to neglect the other. And then he said, you will cling to one and despise the other. Those are opposites as well. You'll hold on to something and ignore that. When you give yourself to money, and not to God. That's how God thinks about you. That's what it feels like to him. You're holding on to the mighty dollar. The Benjamins are really important to you. And you are neglecting him. You are ignoring him. But if you cling to the Lord, the ignorance of all the resources means nothing. They don't get offended because they have no personality. They aren't alive. They have no will, no emotions. They don't get offended. They just do what God says. And if he says, come, they come. And he is assured, all of us, that if we seek first his kingdom, he'll make sure the resources come to us. I've, I've taken 34 minutes to preach the most simple message I've ever preached in my life. But Jesus was just trying to make it easy for folk. Now, at least to understand and to apply their faith so that they could do it. 
I'm begging you, as we start this series on stewardship, raise your standard of understanding so you can embrace all of God so he can give you all you need. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your goodness and grace. Help all of us so that we can rightly prioritize the stuff you've given us.